Well, we want to look this morning and, and talk about that sweet forgiveness that we have through the gospel, through uh, Jesus Christ. And um, we're going to look once more. Let me grab one of these here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, I hurt my back yesterday. I'm, I'm getting a little bit older, and I was playing basketball, and I've hurt my back, so... Jared graciously gave me that. He said, so you don't have to bend over because I'm like, I'm trying to bend over like this. So for a, a while this morning, I thought I might be kind of like Charles Stanley. If you've seen him preach on TV and he sits at a, a table now that he's older, he didn't always do that. But uh, that's kind of how I feel this morning. So uh, if you have this card, you could take that out. If not, Let's uh, turn to Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17. We're continuing our series this morning on the law of God, on the Ten Commandments, and we're looking at just some introductory ideas. And, and I just want to say this this morning, and we'll get into this, but I want to make this statement right now. This probably is the most important sermon in the series. Um, I'm not saying it's going to be great. I'm not going to say you're going to be wild and move, but, but the content of this and the, and the truth of this sermon is the most important thing that you can understand when thinking about the law. So let's read this, and then, then I'll explain why that is. So Exodus chapter 20, and I don't know if it's me or it's you, but we struggle with this. The, the words in, in bold, in black, the actual Ten Commandments, I want you to read with us. So uh, just speak up, don't be afraid. Um, it's, it's probably me, not you. Uh, but, but we'll try better this, this time. We've been struggling with it a little bit. All right, Exodus 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to those to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. All right, the third commandment here. Now we'll read this one together. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Verse 12 now, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. 
So as we begin this morning, I just want to review very quickly uh, two foundational truths. Uh, Really, what we've been seeing each time, that there are two errors when we think about the law, two wrong ways of thinking, and then based on that, there are two foundational truths. The first error, uh, when we think about the Ten Commandments and God's law, the first error is legalism. That is, me thinking that I'll be made right with God, or somehow I will earn God's blessing, or, or merit something from God because I keep His law. That's legalism. The second error is what we've called antinomianism, which is a big word if you've never heard that before, just simply means lawlessness, lawlessness. And, and this is believing that God's free, grace frees me from the obligation to believe or, or to obey. Since I receive uh, grace, since I'm saved by grace, then my life doesn't matter. I just live however I want. I have no obligation, no duty to, to God. So those are two errors Uh, When we think about the law and then two foundational truths based on that, the first is this foundational truth that the law is good because it is God's universal, unchanging standard of righteousness. It does not change. The law does not change. Because we're in the new covenant, that doesn't mean that God is okay with stealing and lying and committing murder and committing adultery. Because we receive God's grace does not mean that we should not worry about those things at all. God's law is his unchanging standard of righteousness. It's the definition of sin. It's what defines sin. It it is what is written on our hearts. It is what we will give an account to based on, on God's law on the judgment day. The second foundational truth that we've said, and here we really began to dig into this one last week. The second foundational truth is that the law must be viewed through the lens of Jesus Christ or we've said it differently, we've said that the law must come to us in the hands of Jesus Christ. It must come to us through the hands of Jesus Christ. And we saw, we began seeing last week why that is. Why, why do we have to receive the law? Why can't we just go to Sinai? Why can't we just read the commandments and say, that's what God wants me to do, and that's what I'm going to try to do? Well, the reason we have to receive those commandments in the hands of Jesus Christ, we saw last week, was because the law has a ministry of condemnation. If you take up the tablets of stone, we got Moses up there holding them, and you say, I'm going to try to please God. I want to be a good person. I'm going to try to keep the Ten Commandments. What will happen is you will be condemned because you don't keep the Ten Commandments. In fact, we saw last week, Romans chapter 7, you cannot keep the Ten Commandments. There's a total inability to obey God in a true sense and, and be pleasing to him. And so the law has a ministry of condemnation. The entire Old Testament, we said, was a 1,500-year object lesson demonstrating that very fact. The people of God in his land with his blessings, and they were unable to keep his law. So the law condemns us. It demands absolute perfection. It exposes our inability. And the law demands justice. So here's an important point. God is not going to just sweep your sin under the rug. He's not going to say, yeah, you broke my law all throughout your life, but you know what? I guess I'm just going to forget about it. I'm just, going to, I'm just kind of like the old man upstairs. Uh, I, I'm, I'm like your permissive grandfathers, like all oh, those kids. Yeah, they mess up, but I love them. No, God is a just judge, and he will condemn those. He will judge those who break his law. No exceptions. So we can't just 
just hope that, well, maybe he'll just overlook it. No, the law brings condemnation, and that condemnation demands justice. Our breaking of God's law demands justice. What we want to see this morning, this is why I said it was the most important message in, in this series, is that we want to see that the, the, the contrast of the gospel, the contrast of the, the gospel, we ended last week on a hopeful note. We ended with John three seventeen and 18 which says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through, it, through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. You see, that's the pathway uh, to not be condemned. The, the pathway to being right with God is not trying your hardest to keep his commandments. If you do that, you will be condemned. The pathway to being made right with God is through believing in His Son. Whoever believes in Him, you hear that, is not condemned. They are not condemned. This introduces then a, an important distinction. The law brings condemnation and it can't save us. Christ saves us and He will never condemn us. What a glorious truth. The law condemns us and it could never save you. But Christ will save you and He will never condemn you what an important distinction this this contrast is observed in in many pa passages in fact the passage that we read last week in second corinthians 3 7 through 9 and I, I i've got these up on the screen because there are so many of them this morning it's kind of be kind of like last week where we're running through a lot of them but but you could see there where it talks about the law and what this is where we had that that main idea last week that the law has a ministry of condemnation but then notice notice what it says at the very end for if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory do you see the you see the distinction there there's the old covenant which was a ministry of condemnation exposing sin, condemning humanity. The new covenant is a ministry of righteousness. And we're going to see that means the ministry wherein we receive the righteousness of God as a free gift. We could see this as well in, in John chapter 1. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, listen to this, full of grace and truth. And then verse 16, for from his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. You just listen to the way it describes what, what Christ came to do, to bring grace. And from him, we have received grace upon grace. It's just pouring over, lavishly poured out on those who believe in him. And then notice this, this contrast here, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ and so we see that distinction once again the law can only condemn us can never save us Christ will save us and can never condemn us now when I'm saying there's a distinction here and there's a contrast I, I, I'm saying they have a distinct function and yet they work together in in, in conjunction they're, they're not at odds they're not working against each other to different ends or different purposes so for illustration you, you might just think about an engine right there are different parts that have a different function but but they're really working toward the same goal and so that's the way that the law and the gospel are as well they do two different things two very different things, and yet they are working together to, to bring about an end. 
And with that, what I mean by this is that the law was necessary. It was a necessary preparation for the gospel. You see, no one will ever see their need of Christ. No, no one will ever run to Christ. No one will ever trust in Christ for salvation unless that person first sees that I'm a sinner, that I am condemned. Uh, when I measure up to God's standard, I see that I have fallen woefully, woefully short, and I could never meet that standard. And, and it's only through realizing that reality that I will then be led to go to Christ, to believe in Christ, to flee to Christ, to trust in Christ. And so the law and the gospel, although they are distinct, yet they are working toward that same end of bringing about salvation. This is what Paul says in Galatians 3.21. He says, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. They're, they're not opposite. They're, they're, they're not against each other. He says, for if the law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin. That's what the law does. It brings condemnation. It, imprins, it imprisons all of us under sin. Why does it do that? So that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. You see, once we're imprisoned under sin, and, and we recognize how sinful we are. We recognize our need of salvation. It is then that we fly to Christ. It is then that we run to Christ, that we believe in him, and we receive the promise that was given to Abraham by faith. We say, I can't work for it. I can't do it. I can't earn it. The only way I can do is, is by receiving it by grace. And so we believe in Jesus Christ. And so that's the function of the law. You could see that in Romans 7 as well, where Paul says, I wouldn't know what sin was if the law didn't, didn't define it. And we could see then that Jesus' ministry in Matthew 5, which we've read uh, in, in the other sermon, uh, Matthew 5, where Jesus says that he came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to destroy the law, but, but he came to in fulfillment of it. And, and so we see the work of Christ is, is naturally connected to that old covenant law. But when a person does come to Jesus Christ, and this is what we want to focus on this morning, when a person comes to Christ, when they believe in Christ, when they trust in Christ, what we need to understand this morning is that the law can no longer condemn us. The law exposes our, our sin and it condemns us. But when we believe in Jesus Christ, that condemnation is done. It's, it's over with. Our, our sins are washed away. We, we are forgiven and we are forever right with God. That there is no condemnation. There can never be any condemnation for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Free from condemnation. It, it, that's, that's the theme of what we're looking at this morning. And, and the first thing that we want to see is the promise of that. We're free from condemnation. And so we, we look at the promise that Jesus gives Look at John 3, 17, and I told you we're, we're running all over the place if you want to turn to these, but they are on the screen there for you. John 3, 17 again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Listen to these words. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. This morning, if you evaluate yourself to the law and if you're attempting to be right with God by doing good, by 
keeping his law, by being a good person, you will be condemned. But this morning, here's a promise that Jesus gives. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned. You are not condemned. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now, there's no condemnation. There's there's no wrath for you. There's no judgment that is going to come upon you. Yes, God disciplines us as his children. Uh, Certainly he does that. And, and, And yet, there is no condemnation. Whoever believes is not condemned. What a contrast to what we saw last week. Your sin will not and it cannot bring you into a place of judgment. Maybe you've come in this morning and you're feeling the weight of your own sinfulness. I know when I come to church on Sundays, it's there for me. I'm thinking about, man, look at all the ways that I've messed up. And I've got to stand up and preach this morning. And and, and I'm supposed to maybe have my life together a little bit better than this. But, But listen, if you're under that weight this morning, you ought to strive to overcome your sin. You ought to fight your sin, yes. But you need to understand that there's no condemnation in Christ. For those who have believed, you are not condemned. God is here. If you're trusting in Christ this morning, He's not angry with you. He's not upset with you. He loves you and you are not condemned. Jesus says as well in Matthew 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. You see that? By believing in Christ, You you are assured that you will not come into judgment, but this person has passed already from death to life. There's already this this passing over. It's it's as if the judgment has already occurred for you. You've been acquitted, and, and, and you are not going to come under God's judgment. Those who are in Christ cannot be condemned. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation, for those who are in Christ Jesus. To be in Christ Jesus means that you've believed in Him and and as a result, you've come to be united with Him so that your position before God is identical with His. Your position with God, your standing with God, if you've believed in Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in Him, your standing before God and your relationship to God is identical with that of Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ. We're, we're associated with Him. We're connected to Him. We're, 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 we're vitally connected so that our standing is one and the same. Everything that Jesus accomplished becomes yours. W- what He did, it becomes yours. His standing before God is given to us. His obedience is counted as your obedience. If you're in Christ this morning, when when God sees you, he sees you and he treats you based on the righteousness of Christ and his obedience. This means that for those who have put their faith in Christ, God's law cannot condemn you any longer. For the law to condemn you, it would necessarily have to condemn Jesus Christ. Like that's what we're talking about here. When you're in Christ through faith, your standing is his standing. You're connected to him. For God to condemn you, he would have to condemn his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.13. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. For him to deny you who are believing and who are trusting in Christ, for him to deny you would be an act of him denying himself because you're in Christ. If you have faith in Christ, your 
position before God is absolutely certain. It is absolutely secure. Uh, and and there's, there's nothing that can change that. Romans 8, 31 says then this. What, what shall we say to these things? And you notice what I read earlier was Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to, to, to work through some other things. He comes back in verse 31. He says, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say to the fact that there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring anything to the charge of God's elect? Is there anything that somebody's going to be, be able to bring up and say, look, this person needs to be condemned. Look, look, they've sinned against you. Is, is there something that's going to come out on the final judgment day that, that's going to be exposed like, like that's what happens to all these politicians, right? They're running and then something comes out, something gets leaked, something gets exposed and there's all this embarrassment. Do you think that might happen to you on the judgment day? Oh, I forgot that I had done that. Uh, oh, you know, I, I really didn't see all those bad things that I was doing. No, is there anything that's going to be able to be brought to, to the charge that, that would, God would say, oh, wait a minute. Second thought here, you're not going to make it to heaven. You're not coming in here with us. I, you know, I, I overlooked that or I didn't see that, whatever. Is there, is there anything, is there anyone who shall bring something against, a, a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. God is the one who's declared you righteous already and not condemned. Who, who is it that's going to condemn you then? If God has already justified you, if he's already declared you righteous, is there someone else who's going to have the ability to overturn God's ruling on your life? To overturn God's, God's declaration on your life that you've been justified? Is there someone who could do that? I, I think not. It's a rhetorical question. He, said, he goes on to say, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can you mess up? Can you fail to keep God's law enough that you would somehow be separated from God's love or the love of, of Christ Jesus? Is there something that you could do to overturn that where Jesus would say, you know, I did love you, but now you have just broken these commandments too many times. And, and I've warned you, and, and my scripture, scripture has warned you, and, and, and now I, I just don't love you anymore. No, that's not going to happen. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? How about tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and just in case I left something off, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the promise this morning. And that's why I said this is the most important sermon uh, that we're going we're gonna to be going into the law. And we're going to be looking at what God expects of us 
And we as believers, we want to please our Heavenly Father. We want to live for our Savior. And so we're going to do a deep dive into these commandments. But we just need to know as we do that, we need to do that from a, a place of security. Because if you just take the law in your hands and say, okay, let's do this thing. Let's just jump into these commandments. You'll be condemned. But if you stand by faith in Jesus Christ, there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We could look at John 6, 37 in the promise Jesus says. Just listen to those words. I'm not going to take a lot of time to, to go through this because we need to move on. But John 6, 37, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. If you come by faith to Jesus Christ, he's never going to cast you out. We saw last week, Adam got cast out, didn't he? Adam was cast out of the garden because he disobeyed God's law. Israel, they were cast out. They were exiled out of the promised land because they failed to keep God's law. This morning, if you come by faith in Jesus Christ, you will never be cast out. God's not going to look at you and say, oh, that's, that's too many. That's, you, you've done that too many times. You, I'm done with you. you. You can no longer be my child. You're, you have to get out of my presence. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down. From heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. If you're one of God's children, Jesus is not going to lose you. But I will raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. What a, what a wonderful promise that we are free from condemnation. But secondly, this morning, we want to see the process, free from condemnation, the process. How can we be set free? How can the condemnation of the law be counteracted? How, how does Jesus justify us even though the law condemned us? Well, the answer is uh, clear in, in Scripture. The Son of God took on humanity and he lived under the law. He lived under God's law, perfectly obeying every command. And then he died a substitutionary death, taking our condemnation so that we would no longer be condemned. And when we believe in him, his righteous obedience is counted to us. So that's a mouthful. But what you need to really understand is that there's like a twofold trade here. The twofold trade is this. The Bible uses the word imputation. But, but here's, here's what happened, essentially. Jesus on the cross took your sin. He was sinless. He always obeyed the, the law. He should not have died, but he took your sin and bore your sin on the cross, taking your curse, taking the condemnation that you deserve because of breaking God's law. He, that was imputed to him. It was counted to him, and that's why he died on the cross. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, then there's this second dimension of this trade. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. It's given to you. It's what I've already been, been saying. All the, the standing of Christ, all the things that he earned, his righteous obedience is counted to your record so that your standing isn't finally based upon you doing anything. Your standing before God is based on this righteousness that's been given to you as a gift. And the penalty for your sin is already fully paid. Like the reason you're not going to come into condemnation is because there's no condemnation left for you. 
The, the condemnation has been poured out on Jesus Christ. And that's it. There's, there's that double trade. So let's look at a couple passages that demonstrate this. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. He came and lived under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And so Jesus, the Son of God, came and, and He was born under the law. He lived perfectly. And then Galatians 3.10 says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Everyone who says, I'm going to be right with God based on keeping God's law, you're under a curse because you can't keep His law. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. We saw last week that the law demands absolute perfection, and so it condemns us. But then look at verse number 13. We're under a curse because we disobey God's law, but listen to what Jesus did. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. When he was hanging on that cross on Golgotha, he was taking the curse that you deserve. The condemnation that you deserve for breaking God's law was being poured out on him. He became a curse for us so that he could redeem us from the law. Colossians 2 teaches the same thing. Colossians 2.13, And you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your heart, of your flesh. God has made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. That's wonderful. All of our trespasses have been forgiven. But how does that happen? Look at that little word, by. How does he forgive us? He forgives us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. So you just take all of your life and you put the Ten Commandments, you put everything that God expects, his moral law here, and you put your life here and you just put a little check mark every time you break the, the law there and there's this record of debt that you have. There, there is all of these things that, that you have broken and you have a legal obligation to them. They, they demand justice. And, and so it says here that God has canceled that record of debt. Well, that's wonderful. How did he do that? Did he just decide, I'm just a loving God. I'm just going to cancel your record. No, no. He's a just judge. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us, uh, stood us, stood against us with its legal demands. How did he do that? That last little sentence there, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He took your record, the, your lifelong of every sin that you've committed, and he took that and he forgave it by canceling the record, and he, he canceled that record by nailing it to the cross. It, it was placed on Jesus Christ, and he bore the wrath of God that you deserve. That's that first trade. And then there's the second trade where we get his righteousness. We know 1 Peter 2, 22, 1 John 3, 5, that Jesus never sinned. So, so he had a complete record of perfect righteousness. And that record of perfect righteousness is given to us. It's imputed to us when we believe. Look at Romans chapter 3, verses, verse 19. Romans 3.19 says this, 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But look at verse number 20, 21 in that passage. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So let's just, let's just walk through that quickly. I had some other passages to look at, but we, we probably won't get to them, but we'll, we'll look at this one. Romans 3, 19, you, you, we saw that last week. The law stops our mouth, right? It condemns us. There, there's no question about it. When we truly evaluate our lives compared to the law of God, we are condemned. But, but look what it says here. Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. What, what is this righteousness that comes apart from the law? This is a righteousness that isn't based on you keeping the law. Well, well, how does that happen? Look at verse number 22. This is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, what, what he's saying here is that this is a righteousness that's given to you. It, it is a righteousness that comes as a gift. It's the righteousness of God that comes here. It says, notice those, those little prepositions, right? It comes through faith. This is a righteousness that doesn't come by you taking up the Ten Commandments and saying, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do this. Okay, I'm going to do this. Okay, here's my righteousness now, God. No, that's, that's not this righteousness. This is a righteousness that you receive. It's a righteousness that is given to you through faith, and it is a righteousness that is for all who believe. It's for all who believe. And so the righteousness of Christ is given to us. You could see this, and we won't go there now, uh, but Romans chapter 10 Verses 1 through 4, Paul speaks of the Jewish people who were trying to keep the law, and he says they were ignorant of the righteousness of God. And, and because of that, they went about trying to establish their own righteousness. In other words, they were ignorant of the fact that God would give them righteousness by believing in Christ. And therefore, they tried to establish their own righteousness by keeping the law. And you could also see this in Philippians chapter 3, where Paul says, here's all of my righteousness. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? But he said, I count it all as refuse, as dung. So why does he do that? He does it so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but, but one that is given to me, a, a, a righteousness which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness that is a gift. So here's this double imputation. Our sin is counted against Christ. Christ's righteousness is counted to us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 sums it up nicely. For our sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He knew no sin, but, but he became sin for us so that we could be counted as righteousness, as righteous in Christ. So free from Christ. Or, or free from condemnation, finally this morning, the practical application. And we'll close with this, but as we study the Ten Commandments, we have to do so with this perspective. 
If you look at the Ten Commandments without taking Christ into account, they will condemn us. We are all guilty of breaking God's law. We, we will begin, if you're here this morning, you think, I'm going to have this relationship with God based on that. We'll, we'll begin to feel weight and guilt and condemnation that we as believers should not feel. There is no condemnation for us. We may even resolve sometimes, you know, like, man, I've messed up and I'm going to try even harder. But you know what that does? It brings even more condemnation because you find yourself again back in the same spot of, of failing to live up to God's standard. Christian, you should hate your sin and you should resolve to obey God, but you must do that from a position of already being accepted and securely loved by God. You, you must do that uh, from the position of being under grace, totally free from condemnation. You must not attempt to obey in order to be accepted, but because you have been accepted. Not in order to gain life, but because you have life. I have a few quotes here, and I'm not going to read all of them, but John Gill says this, and, and this gets to the heart of, of what we need to be thinking here. He says, Upon the whole, let it be an instruction and direction to you to look to the law only as in Christ. Viewed otherwise, it is a terrible law, a fiery one working wrath and threatening with it throwing out its menaces, curses, damnation, and death, but view it in Christ, and there it is fulfilled. The law is perfectly fulfilled in Christ. It, its curse is removed, and its demands are answered. I want to read one more. This is from Ralph Erskine, and he says this, The commands of the law in the hand of Christ have lost their old covenant form and are full of love. The command of the law of works is do this, do and live. But in the hand of Christ, it is live and do. The command of law of the law of works is do or else be damned. But the law in the hand of Christ is I have delivered thee from hell. Therefore do. The command of the law of works is do in thy own strength. But the law in the hands of Christ is I am thy strength. My strength shall be perfected in thy weakness, therefore do. The command is materially the same. They don't change, the, the commandments are the same, he says. But the form is different. The command of the law of works is do perfectly that you may have eternal life. But now, in the hand of Christ, the form is, I have given thee eternal life in me by doing. Therefore, do as perfectly as you can. Though my, through my grace, till you come to the state of perfection. That ought to be where we're at this morning. As we move forward in this series on the law, that ought to be our, our desire. I want to do these as perfectly as I can through God's grace till I come to that state of perfection. But I do it knowing that I already have life. I do it knowing that I already have the love of God. I, I, I'm not earning that or meriting it. I'm, I'm obeying from a place of security, from a place that is free from condemnation. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we can stand in Christ being free from the law.
God, we know that being free from the law doesn't mean that we're free to live however we want as if, as if we have no obligation to obey you, but, but we're free from the condemnation that the law brings. What a wonderful truth. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that he bore your wrath, that he became a curse for us so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. I pray, Lord, if there's one here this morning who does not know Christ, if, there, if there's any here this morning who are seeking to, to be righteous, to, to, to gain heaven by, by keeping your law, I pray, Lord, that you would change their heart this morning, that you would direct their, their eyesight to Christ, that they would believe in him, that, that they would run to him, and that they would trust in him, knowing that whoever believes is not condemned. And we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.